Hello, and welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Lindsay Baroker, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Joe Lalo. And I'm Andrea Pearson. And we have not one but two great guests for you this week, T. Morris and Pip Ballantyne, authors of the Minister of Peculiar Occurrences Steampunk series and the new Social Media for Writers, Marketing, strategy, marketing Strategies for Building Your Audience and Selling Books. T. has also written Podcasting for Dummies, Twitch for Dummies, Discord for Dummies, and contributed to making YouTube videos star in your own video, while Pip is on the side also writing Urban Fantasy under her name, which I promised her I'd mangle and I will, Philippa Ballantyne. Uh, did I get that pretty close, guys? That's right. You did better than me when we met, so it's all right. <laughs> all right. Excellent. As you guys might guess, we're going to be talking about social media for authors today and kind of how we can leverage these platforms to better engage with our existing readers and maybe win some new ones. Um, T, I actually read podcasting for dummies 10 years ago. You'd think I'd be far oh along <laughs> with my podcasting. So much. No, I, no, I, I, uh, I get that a lot and um, I'm real proud of it. I, there was a time where I was not proud of being, a, I, I did a whole blog post about it. I was very, I was really not proud of being a dummies author. And then one day out of the blue, I started getting checks for the second edition of Twitch for dummies. And, and I, I went to Pip and I was like, Pip, these checks are getting bigger. It's been nearly 10 years since the second edition and these checks are getting bigger. And Pip says, you need to update that book. So Chuck and I talked a bit, Chuck Tomasi, uh, and I talked a bit. He's my co-author for, for, for podcasting for dummies. And I reached out, I had, I had not talked to my chief editor, Steve Hayes in almost a decade. And he was like, well, T, we were just talking about you today. And he described the third edition of podcasting for dummies, which was released in 2017. He described it as, uh, as the, the biggest the biggest renaissance for a book they had ever seen at Wiley, period. Mm. Um, that's pretty humbling. And, uh, and so we're, 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 we're thrilled that the fourth edition is coming out this October. It's going to be a good time. You were just ahead of the time. This was probably like 2008 or something when I read it, maybe nine, 10, but what? I remember you were audiobook publishing too, like yep. reading your audiobooks. What yep. made you get into all that? Um, it was, it was a publicity stunt. Uh, the first time, the, 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 from my first novel, Moravi, which was with the, the press that Pip and I are involved with, Dragon Moon Press. Um, <clears throat> what I did for that first book to really make an impact in the area and to try to get, to try to, I, I've always kind of been a marketing guy. I, I've always tried to figure out what works, what makes marketing for a book. What, what can you do that makes you stand out, but not be a total horse's about it, uh, to be blunt, and uh, you might have to bleep me out on that. Sorry about that, Joe. Joseph. <laughs> but um, but but you're, you know, you, you, the, the the fine line of of being that guy and being a really skilled marketer is a real thin one. So what I did for the book launch of Moravi to really make it stand out is I had pirates crash my book launch, and then a sword fight broke out with me. And because I was the star author, of course, I had to win the fight. So it was me versus eight pirates. And we had a blast doing it. So my publisher then said, okay, well, the sequel's coming up. How are you going to top it? And at the time, I, I made friends with uh, uh, an internet and then eventually terrestrial radio show called The Dragon Page. And they had just started podcasting. And they were raving about podcasting. So one day I called them and I said, hey, guys, how would you feel if I started podcasting my novel? 
I would record a chapter. I would maybe throw in some sound effects. I may be throwing some music. So it wouldn't be an audiobook. It would be, it would be something different. And then I would send them the chapter and then they'd make it part of their podcast feed. They thought it was a great idea. And I started podcasting my novel. And then the next thing I knew, a guy named Martin Jeffrey started podcasting his YA novel. And then another guy that you might have heard of if you read horror, a guy by the name of Scott Sigler, he started podcasting his novel. And then that started the the, the podcast movement of writers taking novels and podcasting. So long ago. I know, I know. It's so long ago. And it's like 200 years in internet time. In internet time. Yeah. It was, it's, it's about, yeah, it's, it's, you know, let me tell you the days of high adventure. <laughs> and, and that's where Pip comes in. Um, Pip and I were talking, uh, around this time and I said, you need to get into this podcasting thing because it's really a lot of fun. And I'm just going to segue that over to Pip. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people in the podcasting community, community who could say that it's, T. Morris's fault that they got into podcasting. So I just decided to marry him, you know, just to, you know, punish that boil. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I I was podcasting 2006 from New Zealand. So I was the first New Zealand podcaster. um, And I did four books i think yeah you i'm uh, pretty sure i topped you with how many books i did you did you you podcast um uh, digital magic with the child and um uh the one with the 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 features ashley made um i'm blanking that was my first yes yeah and i I, that book I, i was it wasn't it was not that bad it was not that bad. It was not chasing the bard level, but it was not that bad. It's a good book. Yeah. But I, but I was I was her I was her her enabler in that because I would send her like oh listen here's here's some music composed use it in your podcast here's this use this in your podcast and and I just kind of prodded her along and then um and it became quite an addiction. I it mean, really did. Yeah. And we still and we still do it to this day. To this day. Awesome. Well, I have a, we have a few questions later on YouTube and podcasting, but I also want to ask, since you have the book on social media, um, what are you guys doing? And like, I usually tell people it's for your existing fans more than like to get new people, but is that true? Is it possible to go out there on any of the platforms and sort of develop a fan base before you even launch your first book? I, I feel like podcasting did that. Um, just, anecdotally from meeting people at events and things we've had several people come up to us and say you know i listened to the podcast and then i was like oh there's a series attached to this uh this is the ministry of peculiar occurrences we started doing a short story anthology about three or four years ago or maybe it was even longer i mean five years ago now um and we brought in people we wrote for the series we brought other people in other writers in so there was a lot of cross-pollination um between authors that we already knew by pulling them in we got to kind of tap into their base and they got to tap into ours but we definitely have people coming in and you know getting signed books and saying i listened to the podcast first and then from there i discovered that you had books so i think that definitely happens um i don't think that you can rely necessarily on building up a giant audience before you have the book. Um, but, it is, but it is possible to at least get a, get a foothold on it. Um, yeah, get a, get a start. For, first off, and, and Pip, to correct you, the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, book one, Phoenix Rising, came out in 2011. 
So we started the podcast in 2010. And along with the podcast, we actually started up uh, the the Twitter account. Um, And the Twitter account, it, it's still, we still dabble with the Twitter account for books and brawn, but in its, in its early days. And when, when we were, when we were really knee deep into the, into the series, we were, uh, we were tweeting as the characters and sharing steampunk links and, and doing all those different things on Twitter. So we had, we had Twitter as a front, we had the podcast as a front and we would, we would try really hard to react to even current events. I, I, I remember very, very vividly my, perhaps my favorite tweet as, as books and brawn. Um, cause we would always sign them. If Pip were to do it, she would sign it EB for Eliza Braun. I would sign it WB for Wellington books. And, um, in our area in Virginia, Virginia is not known for earthquakes. And we had an earthquake in like 2010, 2010, 2011. Uh, ca- yeah. Ca- it ca- yeah. Ca- it, it was, a. Uh, it was barely, it was barely a, a blip on the radar for a uh, ring, ring of fire girl down there. But, um, but as far as, as far as Virginia, it just absolutely freaked us out. And, um, so I immediately went to Twitter and as one can books, I typed out, um, to the good people and citizens of the state of Virginia, we are truly sorry. And we apologize for any inconvenience signed the ministry of peculiar occurrences. And it that got so many retweets because people thought it was an absolute riot. And, you know, and that, but that's how you, that's, that's how you kind of, you can, what's one way of working your social media platforms. You can, you can generate hype for upcoming titles and even for yourselves before you, before you launch. And that's pretty cool. And it sort of leads into a question I had, which is how focused on marketing should your social media platforms be? Because I follow a lot of people who have just sort of interesting stuff that they share, but I also follow a lot of people who just periodically ask you to buy their books. So like how much marketing will fatigue your audience and how should you temper your, your feed to keep that from happening? We, we talk a lot about that in the later chapters of the book. Uh, <laughs> we we're, we're firm believers that, um, content is king. And if your, if your Twitter account, if your Facebook, if first off, if your, if your face, if your Twitter account tells me to go follow you on Facebook and YouTube, I instantly block you. Um, cause I want to get to know you. And if all your Twitter, if all your Twitter feed is just buy my book, buy my book, buy my book, buy my book. And, and also on Facebook, buy my book, buy my, I'm done. I'm, we're out. Um, content marketing is about that content. What content is relevant to me as a fan of your work? And what, what is it that's going to keep me coming back? Um, I think probably one of the best examples of just really solid content marketing and someone who, who turns their personality into a way of promoting and, and not just promoting their own work, but also promoting, uh, their, their brand is, uh, Chuck Wendig. Uh, Chuck Wendig's Twitter is insanely good. And so is his Facebook. And, and I, I've lost count how many times I've, I've pointed people to terrible minds. It's like, you want to know something about this? Go to terribleminds.com. And his blog, his blog is, is untouchable. And I, 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 you know, as I like to joke with people, I say, one day I'm going to grow up to be like Chuck Wendig. And even Chuck Wendig just sh- shake his head and goes, you don't want that. <laughs> and he, he's he like, you know, he, he's just, he's just good value. And that's, that's what your, your social media platform should be. It should, it shouldn't be just one endless pitch after another, after another, it should be good value. 
Andrea, would you like to continue on? <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I was, I'm like, eyes shut over here. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so, um, all right. Would you give a couple examples? Um, so when I was reading the description, and, and your book wasn't out yet when I read the description, but so I'll be reading it. I actually just downloaded it. <laughs> um, would you give a couple examples of what you mean by best practices for social media? And then on the flip side, what are things that even experienced authors might do that they shouldn't? Hmm. Well, Wati and I, we do a uh, podcast called The Shared Desk where we talk about um, authors behaving badly. We record every two <laughs> weeks and... <clears throat> Strangely, there's always content to talk talk about that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think one of the uh, the best practices is um, as far as mixing in content with, um, you know, buy my book informational feeds uh, is I like to do Tumblr posts. My my platform that I usually look after is our Tumblr, and I I, I like to have at least three to four pieces of interesting content. We run one about steampunk. Um, so I like to, you know, repost other people's um, books or costumes or interesting events. And I like to have a ratio of about three to four posts of interesting content that's nothing to do with anything we're selling and then have something that might include a link to our book or our audio books or where we're going to be. I would also say, I, I, I would add to that. I think, um, and this is going to sound very, um, very influencer esque, uh, and and it it's one of the things that kind of triggers me about influencers, social media influencers in particular, is w- whether they are involved in in the literature business or anywhere. Um, you also need to have a a, a a sense of authenticity to any of the platforms you do. Um, for me, one of my, one of my stronger platforms is Instagram. And, um, right now I'm doing, I have done a fair share of posts, uh, that are pull quotes from the book and I'm marketing the book and saying, Hey, it's, it's available. Um, you will also see pictures of whatever I'm currently cooking from Trejo's tacos, which is the best cookbook on the market right now. If you don't have (laughs) it, you've got to get this freaking tomb. It is it, it, it really is the necronomicon of food. You cannot escape it. Um, there's, uh, but, but you know, there, I, I, I put up, uh, I put up the, the food stuff. Of course, I take pictures of our cats because a couple of them are just boat full of personalities. And, uh, and then of course, because I'm a streamer, uh, if I'm, if I'm streaming a video game, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm up there and I'm, I'm telling people I'm streaming video games as well. So, <clears throat> you know, going back and forth, uh, the um by the way the the and the it's again it's trejo's tacos as in danny trejo's as in machete (laughs) machete not only kills machete cooks and his 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 diablo spicy shrimp is untouchable and i don't like shrimp but i couldn't get enough of this i was ready to just throw down with pip for the last three but um but but the the thing is is that there's there's an authenticity um even in the podcast uh uh a really talented friend of ours, J.R. Blackwell. Uh, we worked with her on the um, on the RPG based on the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences. She describes the shared desk as sitting down and having a drink with tea and pip. Now she's done that before, but she says if I ever start to f- feel like I'm missing that social time with tea and pip, I listen to the shared desk, and that's that's what I think authors should uh, really lean on 
is is being genuine the way I am, the way Pip is, the way Chuck is, the way Neil Gaiman is. The, 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 these are, um, uh, I'm sorry, the way, uh, to name a few other people, Gail Carriger, uh, Piper J. Drake, these, these are authors that all get it. And they're, they're really using social media as a way of being very authentic and very um, sincere in their connection with their audience. Yeah, I guess uh, in this world of AI that's coming on where they're going to be writing the books, they will have to have some personality or something <laughs> to get people to read our stuff, <laughs> our human side. Uh, so you mentioned mm-hmm. Instagram and Tumblr, which are both kind of picture heavy or photo heavy for authors who are maybe considered themselves writers, but not skilled photographers, or if you're doing something like science fiction and fantasy, where you can't just go snap a picture of a dragon. Do you have any suggestions for um, kind of being on point for your genre and posting interesting stuff? Um, well, we do two things when we, well, obviously when we go to events, remember when we had events, um, <laughs> we, we take a lot of pictures, we find a lot of cool costumes and people have made things. So we post those sort of things. Um, we repost other people's things, but we make, sh- it's very important to us to try and make sure that we have, um, or, you know, who, who's, content this is so we don't look like we're just stealing there are some people who take stuff and just slap their watermark on it and that's that's, that's a, very that's a uncool yeah. um <clears throat> so we do that and uh we also i i do use um places like deposit photo where you actually pay a small um royalty you know royalty free artwork um and use those as well. Um, we use them all in all sorts of different ways, including posts about our stuff. And that's a good place to find pictures. Um, see that, that, I mean, that, that, that's the, the real basics of, uh, of content marketing. Uh, when, when you, th- when you think about like, you know, you said earlier, okay, well, you know, what if I'm a fantasy author? What, what if I'm a fantasy author? I can't take a photograph of, of dragons. Maybe not, but you can talk about uh, different artists that do. I mean, you could you could not go to Gen Con. You could go to Gen Con and not miss any of the dragon art that was available. It just seemed like every artist there, whether they were strictly fantasy art, whether they were comic book artists, everybody had their own take on what a dragon looked like. And so you could, you could highlight an artist in, in that respect. You could talk about, um, remember this drag, this movie based on dragons, whether it was good or whether it was bad. Um, you could talk about sword making, the sword making process and, and recent history that was so, so there's a lot of different elements that you can pull just from a fantasy <clears throat> point of view and talk about it in your, um, in your content marketing strategy. So it doesn't necessarily have to always be a photograph or doesn't necessarily always have to be something literal. Mm. It can be something that is related to the stuff that you're talking about. We use, um, steampunk is based, you know, got a historical basis. Right. So we spend a lot of time, our content, um, talking about historical events, like <clears throat> a certain day, something might interesting might've happened, like the great right. molasses flood or something, <laughs> something like that. Um, so we tend to, point people to those sort of interesting facts and we try and become, um, you know, the, a, a center for them, a reliable center to go to for interesting facts about history and steampunk. And, and that's, that I think is also very key. You want to make sure that whatever, 
whatever you're sharing, it is a reliable source. Um, nothing is worse, especially if you're a writer, nothing is worse than sharing either a quote or a, um, uh, or a story or whatever and, and, and pass it off as we, we, you know, this is, this is coming from us and, and th- we, we rely on the source. And someone says, you realize that person didn't say that. Um, what That's you'll, ne- you'll never see, uh, you'll never see. And what part of my brand is beer. And one of the things you'll never see me share is that Ben Franklin quote that beer's proof that God wants man to be happy. He never said that. He never, he's always, he's always attributed to that quote, but he never said that. Besides, there are way, there, there are way better quotes from Hunter S. Thompson concerning beer. So, (laughs) so that's, that's, that's that's where I get, that's where I get a lot of my information from. Or somewhere around Barso when the drugs started kicking in. Yeah, I've uh, I've gotten quite a few dragon things off of Etsy, you know, for right. a few dollars, oh, yeah. and I'll like take a picture yeah. of that and here, look, my new post-it notes have dragons on it, guys. Here you go. <laughs> so you mentioned Twitch uh, for gaming. Is there anything authors could be doing on Twitch? I, I've heard people live stream their books as they type them. I'm, I don't know how much of an audience there is for that. It's it crazy. Would, it <laughs> would surprise you. Yes, there is an audience for that. Now. Um, and I mentioned this in, in, in the chapter, um, in the chapter we have on streaming. And I do also mention it in, uh, in Twitch for Dummies as well. That people get a little nervous. And I, and I could, I could see this because I've had this discussion with writers before where they go, they go, well, I don't really want to design by committee or write by committee. And that's, that's legit. That is totally legit. But what happens is that if chat asks you a question of like, well, why, why are you doing that? You know, that's, that's, a, that's a terrible thing. You, your character should do X, Y, Z. This is where you as the author can step in and go, I appreciate what you're saying, but here is the motivation of the character. And then you can say, this will also play later on in the book. And that way people are getting an inside look at what you're doing as, um, as an author. Um, just recently I did a two day stream where I was laying out social media for writers I was laying out the print edition and I was explaining to people what InDesign was, why this is a, a, um, a skill that if you're, if you decide to go into self publishing, you need to understand layout. Because if people are going to judge your book on anything, it's going to be two, two factors before they, before they pick it up and read it. They're going to look at two things. They're going to look at the cover art, bottom line. They will always look at the cover art. Any, any of that, that the, the people don't judge a book by its cover. That is a total lie. <laughs> that is a, if you got a crappy cover, people are not going to buy your book. Second thing they're going to look at is the layout. They're going to open up that book. And if it looks like it was just thrown together in, um, in like Microsoft publisher or something like that, they're going to be like, nah, I don't think so. You want the book to not only have really good content on the inside, but you also want it to look as pretty as possible. And with, um, with, nonfiction. It's, you have a lot more creative leeway. So I, I'd never done that before. I went on ahead and said, let me stream this and see what happens. Wow. Did my chat light up? People were asking about editing. They were asking about layout. They were asking about the importance of, you know, Quark Express versus InDesign. What, what is InDesign? How, how does this work? How do you do, how do you format this for eBooks? And it was really fascinating. Uh, the other, the other thing that, that, uh, that writers can do is what Pip and I do. Um, when, when I, first pitched to Pip, <laughs> and I regret this now, when I first pitched to Pip doing, uh, doing streams uh, with our podcast, Pip was like, I don't think I'm, I'm going to do this. And I said, no, come on, we can, we can, we can just try it. 
within 30 minutes, Pip was in. And even probably within 10 minutes, Pip was totally, completely 100% in. And what it was, was that it was something that people tried to do in the early days of podcasting. They never could pull it off. Um, it was that live interaction. It was a live studio audience, basically. Yeah. And Chats is, is fun. It's it, fun to chat it with totally people. changes the dynamic. Yeah. And, and, the, and then the nice thing is then you can take the audio of that and make it a podcast. If so you're, you it, yeah. And, and, and if you're, if you're already using a recording device, the, the, the actual stream serves as a backup, which we have, which we have had to fall back on a couple of times. Mm-hmm. But, um, but for somebody who didn't, who wasn't 100% crazy about, about, uh, streaming, to just give you an idea, tomorrow, uh, tomorrow, the two of us are going to be streaming a wing off. Um, I'm going to be using the Trejos tacos recipe for, uh, for, for, for chicken wings. And Pip will be going to the book of Snoop as in Snoop Dogg, as in from crook to cook, cooking with Snoop Dogg. And we're going to basically put the two, uh, his, his chicken wing recipe against Danny Trejo's chicken wing recipe. And we're doing this for charity and we're streaming it tomorrow. So we so do a lot it. of things on that, on that Twitch channel, <laughs> a lot of different things. That sounds excellent. Uh, it's funny. You keep on mentioning Trejo's cooking. Uh, when I went to the Sifla thing, Nebula Awards, uh, it's right next to Trejo's Cantina. Oh. I, I missed the opportunity to go there. It was closed. Dude, weekend. I was there. Oh, that's, uh, I mean, and Danny Trejo must be onto something because while you hear all the stories about restaurants closing their doors or some that just expanded and then they're, they're closing the new wing. Danny Trejo just opened up a brand new shop somewhere in LA. And I'm like, the guy must be just killing it. Um, and, and, but that, but you know, if these are the, if the recipes that I'm having or that we're having, I should say that we're having is, is a sampling of what his stores have. I, I can understand it. Like I said, we, like I said, I don't even like shrimp and, and yet that, that spicy Diablo was out of this world. Uh, but the but, funny thing is we're doing this stream about food and yeah. stuff, but people are still buying. I mean, you've had people, we have an online store where people can buy signed copies of our books and there was, you know, various points where we're like shipping them out the door and we've run out of, I think we've run out of, uh, yeah. we, we, uh, we ran out of Twitch for dummies. We ran out of, um, uh, we also ran out of discord for dummies Yeah, and, and the, the, but, and bringing it back as, as Pip so skillfully did, um, is, is that again, people are either seeing you doing your crafts. They're seeing an aspect of your craft that they may not think about, for example, book layout, or they may be watching you do a podcast about writing and it's that live interaction, or they can just see you off the clock. Um, again, this thing that we do every, every Friday, um, is this thing called Philippus Freaky Friday. Instead of Pip coming in and heckling me while I'm gaming, I give Pip the controls on Friday night and she picks a game and she plays and Pip Pip, Pip is not a gamer, but right now she is absolutely slaying in Ghost of Tsushima. <laughs> she is full Kurosawa, and it is it is epic. Now we to watch. can bring it back around to writing again because a lot of gaming stuff has some amazing writing. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So we have talked about the writing aspects, and even when we're gaming, people will start asking, "Is this how you get your ideas? How do you flush this out?" You know, it's it it really is neat and it's a, again it's a it's an authentic connection with an audience in real time 
And that's, that, that is the, that there's a lot that writers can do with Twitch and it doesn't necessarily have to involve video games. Now we talk about like the, the words authentic and genuine are coming up a lot. And, uh, this is sort of the converse of my earlier question, but is it possible to be too personal and too social on your platforms? Like, can you do harm by mixing a little too much you or a little too much unfiltered you into yes. the feed? There is, oh, yeah. there is always the chance yeah. that when you put your life or your personality out there, that there are going to be people out there that take offense. Or exploit it. Or exploit it. Or, or exploit it. Um, the aforementioned Chuck, Chuck Wendig, who knows how to work his social media channels very well, has nonetheless had some um, blowback, um, some stalking. And some pretty terrifying people and in general. some other things that have kind of... Yeah. I've never seen him back away from his social media channels, however. Right. He's um, always maintained who he is and had to deal with some things that might be a little too personal. Um, and... and um... And sometimes I think, I think, um, uh, external, external influences, um, they, they like, to, they like to fall back on, they like to fall back on what I call the, the easy out. Um, let, I mean, we should just go ahead and address the 800 pound gorilla in the room when, 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 um, when Chuck lost his connection with Marvel, he was writing some stuff for Star Wars and, um, there were people that were taking victory lap because the reason why Marvel let them, the, the, the official word that was given to Chuck was, well, it was because uh, we, we saw your Twitter account and we didn't like what we saw. And about three or four months after that, after that uh, S storm, uh, I was, I was at my day job and a guy mentioned something about, uh, about Chuck Wendig. I don't know how Chuck came up in, in, in conversation, but because I was the comms director, uh, the, the, um, the individual said, yeah, if Chuck Wendig had just sort of toned down his Twitter, he would still have that job. And I said, that wasn't why he got fired. And he froze and he looked at me. He's like, what are you talking about T? And I said, that's not why Chuck got fired. And he goes, wait, you know, Chuck Wendig. I said, not only do I know Chuck Wendig, I've followed him for years. I can tell you right now, if Marvel didn't pay attention to his Twitter account throughout his entire relationship, which the, the, the account never changed while he was with, uh, with Marvel, they could even look at the beginning. There's a, there was a blog post Chuck had that went totally viral called turning writers into mother effing rock stars. And he didn't censor it. He didn't censor it one iota. And that was a solidly a year before Marvel even approached him about Star Wars. So for Marvel to say, oh, it was your Twitter account, it was just too political, that's BS. Mm. Um, and well, that's, a, that's like a personal choice, you know, how much yeah. you want to share, how much sort of hot button items you want to dive into. Right. Right. Um, we have, we have our own hot buttons. We've, we've, we've stood up on a, on a, on a, on a soapbox or two in our day. The, but I do think authors should draw lines and say, this is what I'm sharing. This is what I'm not. And, um, and, you know, and we're, we're very picky about it. Um, some, some authors are very careful about, yeah. uh, not sharing, for example, the name of their children or not sharing pictures of their children. Yeah. Some people are quite open about it and, and share and lots put it all of out there. Yeah. Um, we have had, 
a lot of our sort of writer friends tend to like put their children, for example, give them like superhero names and that way it gives the children some level of yeah. anonymity. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's an incredibly fine line and everybody has to make their own decision about where they stand. Just know that if you venture into sort of hot button territory, you are opening yourself up to yeah. people that might not want to buy your book or people who might want to, you know, throw down with you on social media. Right. That's very, yeah, there's, there's topics that I'm like, I don't go anywhere near with a 10 foot pole. And that's like religion, politics. I'm like, they're not in my books. They're not in my newsletter. They're not, I don't even post anywhere on any of my social media accounts, anything. Cause I'm like, it's none of their business. I'm an entertainer, not a, you know, yeah. Hey, right. What's the word? philosophizer <laughs> i mean it's a brand, it's a brand management kind right. of thing right yeah. chuck's brand is very in your face mm-hmm. it's it's um highly political it's it's all of those things but it's also i think like we were talking about it is still a very authentic to him it's not something he's putting on it's something he's passionate about so right. it is a real personal choice on what you want to do just be aware of the pitfalls of going there Okay. Okay. So I actually pulled our authors in our, you know, a lot of them who listen to this group. And I just wanted to know what our main authors, uh, what they've wrote. Um, and so most of them write mainly science fiction or fantasy romance and mystery. And, and that's not really a big surprise. You know, that's pretty much the way it goes all over the board. You know, lots of, lots of people write romance and sci-fi and mystery and all that. Um, which platforms would be best for these genres and which do they consider not spending much time on? Well, I'm the, um, I love, I love Pinterest and Tumblr. Um, Tumblr, I would suggest for people who are into YA, if they're doing any kind of YA, that's where the, the younger demographic tends to be. Um, Pinterest, I feel like is probably more highly geared towards more nonfiction. There's a lot of, um, and, and romance actually, because it's got a slightly higher, um, it's, it's got, it's actually majority um, women. Um, so that, that, those sort of genres that are aimed towards those sort of groups are a good place. T, what would you suggest for science fiction and fantasy folks? So the funny thing about science fiction in general, and I mean, the died in the wool, I attend Worldcon type of science fiction fan usually hates social media. Uh, and, and it's, it's, it, I find that mind boggling that, you know, you're dealing with technology and you're dealing with instant communication and yet they are the biggest technophobes you'll ever meet. Um, but, um, the way, the way that I break it down isn't necessarily where the audience will be, uh, but more like what is the age demographic? Mm. Tumblr, a younger audience is usually on Tumblr. Definitely a younger audience is usually on, on, uh, on streaming platforms. That's, that's Twitch, that's YouTube, that's Facebook gaming. Um, the thing to also know is that when you go on and you, um, uh, you go on, you go on a Twitch, for example, I've had two reactions to when I tell people that I'm, a, I'm an author. One reaction is, holy crap, you're, you're an author. That is so freaking cool. And I'll get all these questions. The other one is, I don't read books. And, you know, people think, well, yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's the, that's the video game crowd. Trust me. The science fiction convention crowd is just as rude. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> 
but um but uh, i find fantasy authors you'll find you'll find an older demographic on facebook now um you'll find a younger audience on twitter yeah. and and uh you'll find now uh some some authors have been dabbling in in uh in in platforms that i that i as a social media professional do not quite understand the application of in particular snapchat uh people are still using snapchat authors swear romance authors swear by snapchat and i'm like i don't get it because the posts don't last they're up for 24 hours and then they're gone i'm like what's the effing point now as far as uh the knockoffs of Snapchat, a la Facebook stories and Instagram stories. What I have seen authors do very well, and I've also seen authors fail at miserably, is that they will do, um, they will do like shots from, from events. And if you're in an event and you're throwing them up in stories, that's awesome. If you've got, um, if you've got a small slideshow going at an event that you're at, or it's the same photograph, but you have different captions and you're telling people, I'm going to be in this room at this time, at this date that works as well. Um, but I know that my, my older audience is going to be on Facebook. They're going to be on Pinterest. Um, there's going to be a younger audience when it comes to, uh, the streaming platforms and, uh, in Twitter. And when it comes to podcasting, it's straight across the board. I mean, I got, I've got, I've got all kinds of people listening, listening to us on, uh, on, on podcasting. And as far as blogging goes, that's where the hardcore readers are going to be. So, um, and that is why I, I really do believe that when you, when you go to the, when, when you build a social media strategy, you don't invest all your time in one, in one platform. You need to, you need to spread it out. And after, after some experimentation, you'll figure it out. You'll be like, okay, I'm going to spend some time here. I'll spend some time here. I'll spend some time here. The other ones, I'll get to them if I can. Um, I'll tell you straight up right now, my audience is not on LinkedIn which is why we don't cover it in the book. <laughs> no. But I tell you, um, uh, Twitter is, I mean, yeah, Twitter is good for for um, connecting with readers, but I also like Twitter is great for connecting with the writing community. Um, a lot of, you know, WIP Wednesdays and, yeah. you know, a lot of agents and publishers um, are in the, the Twitterverse. Um, so if you're looking to, you know, looking for an agent or looking to find out what publishers are doing. That's quite a good place to get into and find the right hashtag that you can follow. That was a great breakdown. I appreciate that for the different genres. Um, I'm curious. I know there's a lot of really popular space, like uh, nonfiction channels on YouTube. That may be the one genre where it'd be worth having a nonfiction, you know, let me tell you, like, I know Isaac Arthur is not a author but he's just built up this tremendous youtube channel with his uh this is what's going to happen in 1500 years based on real physics what we could actually have in the solar system kind of stuff but i don't know do you have any thoughts on that before i move on i mean youtube i've, I've watched youtube grow over the years and um and it, it it boggles my mind where people get i i also dabble in video editing <clears throat> i what goes into making uh, some of these uh, astounding videos that Pip and I watch? Uh, I think one of our favorites uh, has been History Buffs. Um, it's because of History Buffs we've we've caught up on so many uh, historical epic movies, and um, uh, you know I 
I, I know what goes into it. So when I, when I see some of the, some of the stuff that these people do, I, I'm just really impressed with it. Um, but again, with, with, um, with the streaming channels, would you have to, would you have to, the, the way I approach that is it's, it's, um, it, it, the, 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 it's more about I want these people on this particular platform to get to know me as a, a as as not just a the writer, but a writer that will game to get some to get some uh, um uh, to get some frustration out or to just unwind or just relax. And I feel like I also I give them a chance to get to know me and how my brain works and how my brain is very different uh, when it comes to the way we approach a game. Another example is I'm currently playing through uh, the sequel to The Last of Us. And I can tell you right now, I have seen a lot of movies about the apocalypse and about the end of the world and about dystopia and things like that. It has been a long time since I have felt as moved as I did for The Last of Us. And now I'm in part two. And I'm constantly, I constantly will, will, will pause the game and talk about it from a writer's perspective. And I think my audience digs that because instead of me going, well, the mechanics in this game are a little rusty. I don't like the fact that I have to do triangle, triangle, square, square to do, to pick up the item and then figure it out how to read it. Instead, I'm going, do you see the depth of this character? Do you see the look in this and, you know, the, 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 the subtlety of the performances? This is good storytelling. This is now investing me as a, and I, and that's, that's where, that's where I make the connection with the audience. Um, and when it comes to nonfiction, uh, I would say that um, that when it comes to nonfiction, I, I I just tell people across the, across all the platforms, it's like it's like nonfiction for me is about how do I figure something out. And I think um, I think when when you're when you've got 15 years of podcasting experience between me and Pip, when you've got uh, the experience that we've had with with Twitch and 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 things like that. When, when it comes to social media for writers, that's what we're bringing to the table is that experience. And, and I think that is, is probably the biggest, uh, um, advantage that you have in social media is if you've got the, if you've got the footage, if you've got videos, you've got images of you actually doing whatever subject matter your, your nonfiction book is about. I think that only reinforces, uh, your credibility in writing it. So yeah, for nonfiction authors, I find I find that the social media is is, is a must-have. You, you really got to play that. Right, and you made a good point that some of those YouTube channels have like a team of people working on exactly. the videos. It's a lot yeah. of work. You have to Amazing. love it for that, not just to sell your own books. Exactly. Exactly. Um, quick question about Discord, which you mentioned, and I mostly think of as a chat for gamers. Is there something else authors should be doing with that, possibly? Absolutely. It is a great place to build a community. Um, it has all the benefits of Facebook without the noise. And the other thing is it, it gives you full control over what people see and what people um, do in that community versus Facebook where you're playing by Facebook's rules. Now, there's still a terms of service with Discord. But Discord as a community building platform is, uh, is, is, is phenomenal. And the way I look at it is, is that I, um, Discord is one more platform, but for me, it's, it's all the pros and cons of, well, actually more, and more pros than cons of, of, of creating a group and creating a page 
without having to deal with Facebook. Um, it's been real hard for me to be as expressive on Facebook after watching a documentary called The Great Hack. And since that documentary, I have, and, sin, and since what happened with Cambridge Analytica, I have been trying very hard to be more diligent with my data and what I'm sharing on Facebook because I'm the only one that's going to be doing that. I cannot rely on Facebook to be responsible with my data, obviously. Um, but with Discord, you get a lot of control. And, um, and, and what's, what's also great about Discord is that, yes, it is a, it, much like Twitch, it is primarily a gaming, uh, gaming, gamers platform. But I've seen software companies use it as a, uh, as a place to do their IT, uh, their IT help. Uh, there are help desks that are completely based on Discord. Um, and from a writer's perspective, it's great because I have a room that's called WIP, Work in Progress. And writers will come in and they'll drop like a thousand words or 1,500 words of a work in progress. And I tell people, you can drop it in there. No one will critique it unless you ask for it. And, and you know, and I've had people drop in works of art in progress. And it's, it's just, it's a great creative hub, uh, for people to either write poetry or there's, there's a lot. Discord, I think is Discord and Twitch, I think are the two undiscovered countries. And I, I only, I only see, I've had, I've had plenty of authors come up to me and say, so what do you think of Discord as a platform? And I'm like, if you want to build a community and you want to be, you want to be free of the Facebook chains, this is the place to do it. Yeah. And, and I, I also think that the, um, <laughs> I can also say this, the interface, the user interface of Discord beats up and steals the lunch money of Facebook's new interface, hands down, hands freaking down. There you go. All right. Well, I'm going to have to check it out a little more in depth. Um, you mentioned, I can, I can, I can, I can mention a book that'll really help you through it. I promise. <laughs> really? What was it? Discord for dummies, perhaps? Yeah. What kind of, did you get anything free for yeah. that one? <laughs> not this go round. No, not this go round. <laughs> All right. Well, you guys are both obviously big podcasting fans and we kind of talked about YouTube also as being something where if somebody's interested in that. It could possibly build an audience. What should people like, let's say we have mystery authors. I don't think we um, mentioned a social media for them, but if you're a mystery author and you're thinking, yeah, I want to start a podcast or a YouTube channel, what can they be doing on their channel? Um, that's not just like for writers. I feel like a lot of us default to mm -hmm. let's do it. Like we're doing this podcast for writers. It's not really helping us sell our, you know, science fiction, but um, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, we seem to have, uh, we, our Tales from the Archives, which is the sort of offshoot of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences. Um, we, we, cause both T and I started off doing full books. We're giving away the whole book and we've kind of evolved the idea over the years from that to giving away something. Um, so maybe if, if you're uh, a mystery writer, maybe you could be doing, Oh, you could just off the top of my head, you could be doing like little reports. Maybe your book's about a detective and you've got like little snippets of, of reports that maybe the detective is doing insights that sort of expand on the book that you, that you have and that you're selling. Um, see, 
I know I can see you're thinking about it. Oh, oh I, I have plenty of ideas. He has written mystery books before. So, I mean, one of the things that I, I think that um, if I were still working in the Billabub Battings mystery uh, series, I think one of the things I would do would be short stories of other cases of Billy Battings. That'd be one thing. Uh, the other thing I would probably do would be, um, uh, and this would be this would be uh, really interesting to see how writers would run with this, would be, okay, well, you're doing a mystery. Well, maybe it's inspired by something. So what would it be? I mean, you could talk about, uh, you could do an analysis of one of Agatha Christie's uh, Murder on the Orient Express, or you could actually do a true crime mm-hmm. analysis. True of, crime is huge. Oh, yeah. But here's what you got to be careful about when you start doing stuff like that. If you start getting into true crime that inspires your mysteries, the true crime podcast could become the new thing that you're doing and then you're not writing anymore. And that is my, that's my biggest warning that I would give to anybody, to any writer that's looking to, to use podcasting at, or even streaming as a, uh, as, as a, as a way of marketing their books. I was for a long time, I was doing a, a podcast called the survival guide to writing fantasy. It was one of the first podcasts to come out that didn't, it was a writing podcast, but it wasn't a writing podcast about the craft. It was about the business. I talked about all things marketing. I was talking about stuff that, um, that wasn't necessarily about writing, but about what you did to promote your book. Um, and I remember, you know, it, it was a refreshing change for some authors like Terry Brooks and Robert J. Sawyer, because I wasn't asking them, so where do you develop your plot lines? I'm going, okay, so I've got this book, what now? And they got a chance to, you know, and even Terry got a chance to, to take a look at the, at the perspective of this was when, it, this is when I started. This was what you, you could expect. Now it's very different. But the thing was that I was doing so much work on the survival guide to writing fantasy, I was no longer writing fantasy. And so you as a podcaster, if you decide you want to come up with something that's different, you want to try to come up with something that that kind of takes the weight off of you from doing work so you can still write. And that was what we noticed with the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences. We, we approached each author and we said, this is what you like. we'd like for you to do. We'll take your audio. We'll spruce it up. We'll make it, we'll make it fun. But if you write the story and if you're okay with it, we would like to be able to reference the story in the series. And we, we had a wonderful time doing it. And it was great because it actually expanded the universe, but it was a shared universe. So we, we did pay them. So, and we did pay them and we did pay them. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you just have to be making sure that, that if you're doing a podcast, whether if you're, if you're a mystery author and you want to do a true crime that inspired your mystery, just make sure that you still have time to write and market said mystery so that your true crime, but if your true crime podcast takes off and Amazon wants to talk to you, <laughs> but I think go with Amazon. Things that really helped us with the ministry tales from the archives is that we had seasons. So we yeah. weren't continuously doing right. it every week you know, taking away hours and hours. It had a season and it happened and then it didn't. <laughs> and then we, t- we took a break. Then, then we, we came back and then we took a break and it was season two. Boom. Yeah. Now on the subject of that, on the subject of like putting out content and the content becoming 
you know, uh, a distraction from your main thing. Uh, I follow a lot of YouTubers. Like I watch most of my entertainment comes from YouTube these days. And I follow a lot of YouTubers off YouTube as well. Lots of them have podcasts right. and they talk about the algorithm, like the boogeyman, like even more so than indie authors talk about the Amazon algorithm. And like, it seems like a lot of these places are a meat grinder when it comes to putting out content and actually keeping relevant. So are there places like, it seems like in particular, YouTube is a place that you just have to keep putting stuff out. If you want YouTube to have, have a, a footprint. Yeah. Um, boy, that's a good question. That's because uh, man, <laughs> they do um, live and die by the algorithm. They do. To be, um, YouTubers that I really like is Lindsay Ellis because she breaks down, you know, sort of literary stuff and also, um, theatrical movie stuff. Um, her, 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 her breakdown slash takedown of Phantom of the Opera, uh, <laughs> by Joel Schumacher is epic. It's epic. But she had, she had, yeah, she was talking a, b- a bit about the algorithm and, um, just the, the meat grinder aspect of it, yeah. but also the negativity aspect of it. She was saying that most, the things that get the most hits from the algorithm are negative things, yeah. which, you know, there's another aspect of, of the, and I've been, I've been victim of that. I've been victim of that. I've been a victim of, of one of the, of one of the biggest, uh, black holes of negativity in, in the, uh, in the Twitch community. Uh, he, um, and, and, and they're, they're, they're slimy dealers. I won't lie to you. Um, his deal was that he took a screen capture. He took a screen capture of a tweet that I made and then he retweeted screen capture. So I wasn't hit on it, but he, he basically made, made some snarky remarks at my expense. And I would never have known about it had somebody not DM'd me and said, you need to know this guy is doing this. And I went, who is this guy? And they thought that was hysterical because this is one of those, this is one of those YouTubers that's got like millions of followers and, 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 and that kind of stuff. And the, the only way you can cope with that sort of thing is people are going to troll. But the, the thing about the content, the, the content uh, meat grinder, also known as the grind, is, yeah, there are some people that make content just for content's sake. And um, the, way, the way that we approach content is, uh, is, again, more from a point of view of like, if people know we've put out a, put out a podcast... Maybe there's a, maybe there's a month gap. Maybe there's a couple months gap. But when we come back, people are like, Oh, it's going to be good. We never do content for content's sake. It is a zero game. It is a zero sum game. You will burn out on. Oh, yeah. There's only so much. You see that in uh, YouTubers and and Twitch, Twitch streamers. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and that's where I think they kind of, they, they kind of shoot themselves in the, in the foot. They get so so obsessed with the algorithm or let's just, let's just, let's just call it by the other A, the, the analytics. How many viewers have I got? How many subs have I got? How many followers do I have? Um, it, it becomes, it, it, it reaches a point where you no longer enjoy it. And, um, I've seen, I've seen streamers absolutely melt down and break down because their numbers are going down. And I just, and, and for, and for the, the, the toxic, for the toxic individuals, I just say, look, enjoy your time in the sun because it's not going to last. Cause there's going to be somebody that comes out who's younger than you, who's slicker than you, 
and yes, smarter than you, which for some of these idiots, it's not that hard. And, um, and they're going to out, they're going to get outplayed. And eventually, and, and it's because this is not playing video games for fun and getting paid for it by Twitch. This is a business. This is a business. And some days you're going to be the windshield. Some days you're going to be the bug. And maybe it's because I have a theater background. Maybe it's because I have a writer's background. And I mean, cause I, I know that in the, um, in the 18 years that I have been going from convention to convention, I've seen a lot of young authors come and go. And the fact that I'm still standing after 18 years with uh, a successful series with my wife, with a successful uh, nonfiction book with my wife, and with these three books from the For Dummies people in my, in my wheelhouse, I must be doing something right. Um, so I tell people when it comes to, especially when it comes to, to creating content, don't let the content rule your life. If you don't feel like streaming, don't. Because the audience, they're going to pick up on that. And I'd rather, I'd rather, I'd rather not stream than stream content and be happy about it. Because people come, cause I, cause when they come to my stream, and I've had this told to me before, I'm like, I love coming to the stream tea because I know it's a safe place and because I can forget about what's going on in the real world and just chill out with you and have a good time. That's what I want. And that's what I aim for. And I, and that's not going to happen if I burn myself out. So this makes me feel guilty for asking the next question. (laughs) (laughs) Bring it. Come on, come at me, bro. Because you're like, don't worry so much about algorithms and the analytics. Um, so what is the sweet spot for how frequently to post content, uh, say YouTube and podcasting and which days of the week would work for, best for both of them? Mm. The uh, eternal question, the eternal question. <laughs> you want to lead in Pip? You want me to lead in? Then you I, clean well, up. The general feeling about podcasting is that you want to hit it when people are commuting, yeah. you know, back in the days when people commuted. <laughs> <laughs> The, the sweet spot was usually about an hour yeah. of time length. And it was usually, you know, trying to hit the American time zones when people would be in there. No, 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 honey. You remember that the, the sweet spot, the, the original idea was the sweet spot was, yeah, you don't want to go over 20 to 30 minutes because oh, no, that's, the, an hour. that's the time of an hour average commute. I said, Bitch, you don't live in Washington, D.C., do you? <laughs> it's two hours uh, each way anywhere. It's two hours each way on a good day. <laughs> but um but the thing is Spotify changed all that when mm. they started when they started bringing on podcasting. Um yes, and, having your podcast on Spotify is definitely a a very good idea. It's also really cool. Um <laughs> but but you were going to say Pip, I mean what about I mean do you do you do you think there are some sweet spots? I mean I got I got I got thoughts about it too, but you you go for it. Well, I mean, I know with your, uh, with Twitch streaming, there's definitely a morning, after morning, evening crowd. And it's all kind of related to time zones. Are you trying right. to hit it in America or are you getting up early in America trying to get the European crowd? <laughs> I mean, if you're going to look at analytics and see where, when, are, when are the people who want to hear you on, then you have to be on. But uh, with podcasting, it's it's changed quite a bit as far as, you know, um, being Spotify makes everything available all the time. So <laughs> I, I'm going to, um, so your, 
your writers and the, the writers in your audience may not know this name. If they game, they, they should know this name. There is this, um, I, I got a chance for, for Twitch for dummies, which, um, I don't, I don't mind saying when I first started doing Twitch for, for dummies, I was like, this is going to be a nice little cash grab. This is going to be really, really cool. And it wound up being instead one of the most passionate <laughs> and one of the most heartfelt love letters I've ever written to a platform, even more so than podcasting for dummies. Cause I got a chance to talk to a lot of different streamers. None of them were, were, were writers or anything like that. They were just, they were just passionate gamers. Um, and they were all different streamers from, from different, you know, they had different sized audiences and things like that. But the, the superstar that I talked to was a guy named Dr. Lupo. Could not have been a nicer gentleman. Could not have been a nicer guy. And this guy, he's the guy that's being sponsored by Logitech, by Gillette, by, um, uh, by Samsung. These people are sponsoring him. And, um, I remember being so humble at, at this guy's approach to streaming. He basically said, I got lucky. And that was something that none of the other streamers talked about, but he was straight up about it. And this is a guy who's got this, you know, he's got like a 20 foot banner of his face at TwitchCon. And he said, I got lucky. And he said, at any time, this could end. And that's, that's when Dr. Lupo became my favorite streamer of all time because he gets it. And, and that's the, the, what you could say about what he did about getting lucky. It can easily be said about anything in social media. Um, I remember when I was, uh, when I was working in, with a cybersecurity, uh, firm here in Virginia, they hired somebody to make us a viral video. And I was the on-residence social media manager. And I said to the marketing people, I said, this isn't going to work. And they're like, what are you talking about? I said, you can't make a viral video. A video goes viral. Ergo, it's called a viral video. You can't make it. And they were like, they, the, the, the literal words they said to me were, you don't know what you're talking about. You're too close to it. And I was like, okay. And I just sat back. And it was a disaster. It was an utter disaster. Because... It was a clever video they made, but they were like, uh, but I asked that I kept, and nobody had the answer. Nobody had the answer about how do you make a viral video? You know, I said, how do you make a video viral? Oh, well, we'll do this and we'll do that. I said, no, how are you going to make it go viral? And they were, they, they said, we're going to handle it. And how they handled it was they purchased, they purchased views. And that never works. I don't care who says it. I don't care what, if a book guru tells you, Oh yeah. If you want to be popular, you got, you know, if you want something to go viral, you have to pay for it. You have to invest in it. That is BS from beginning to end. It is luck. And some days you're going to get lucky and some days you're not. So as far as this, and, and, and with, with, with Spotify now getting involved in podcasting, that sweet spot is really hard to hit. But I can tell you this from personal experience. When you go viral, one, be ready for it. And two, you're not going to see it coming. Um, good friend of ours, and I'm going to, this is where I'm going to pass it over to, uh, to, to Pip, because Pip, Pip can tell the story way better than me. A friend of ours named MK knows that <laughs> certain. Tell them about NK, Pip. Well, MK, um, the, she has a very popular Facebook page. Um, called, and she's written a book called Mom Babble. So she's a, a, she blogs as a mother. Um, she, it was just some random 
encounter. She does a lot of Facebook lives. It was just a random encounter she had one day and she has the best laugh. And she was <laughs> telling this story to her friends just in her car, just giggling about how silly she'd just been. And it, I guess, I don't know. It's hard to say why it became so popular. Oh, I, come I on. It was, it was her laugh. She it was, was her awesome. cute laugh. It was it was that cute, cute Southern story. Alabama laugh. And people oh needed, God. people needed, you know, people needed to hear some, some, something lovely and sweet. And as our daughter would say, pure. Yeah. And uh, so she, it just went absolutely nuts. And she ended up on the Ellen show because just the silly video that she'd done in her car about some random funny event that had happened. And the cherry on top of MK Sunday was that that same laugh she brought onto the Ellen show. She could barely get two words because she was so nervous about being on the Ellen show. She immediately defaulted back to that Alabama laugh and she could barely get two words out. And Ellen just had, Ellen gives good deadpan. And she just had this stoic face and she just stared at, and then Ellen started laughing. And then the two of them were just, it was an utter giggle fest. And I'm like, this, this is the magic of viral videos. You can't that. Yeah. You, know. you can't catch that kind of lightning in a bottle. And yeah. that's what, that's what, that's what you have to, and, and that's why we say in social media for writers, we make it very clear. When you do this, you're in this for the long haul. If you're expecting to go, to go viral within two months of being online, you're, you're, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, you will be disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> it's the one that, it's like a shark. It's the one you don't see that gets you. Yep. All right. Um, one more question from me. We've had you for an hour, so we'll try to just each ask one more. So um, some of these things, like I spent only maybe 10 minutes a week on social media between Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Facebook's my biggest, I gotta, I have to like, like everybody's comment. So that's, <laughs> that's my biggest time investment. But if you're looking at something like podcasting or YouTube, or it sounds like the streaming, it's a much bigger time commitment. So I'm curious, I know some of these you can actually monetize. Is that something you guys do? And have you found it worthwhile? Ah, uh, the monetizing. <laughs> um, yeah, word. The M word. The way that we look at social media is the monetization is in selling our books. Um, if you're going to be doing YouTube and making, you know, ad revenue basically on that, um, then you should probably be concentrating on doing YouTube and making that your full time gig. Um, but I, I feel like for authors, it's uh, a long haul plan. It's about creating a, a a connection with readers and the monetization is when they like you, like your writing enough to actually purchase your books and support your career in further books. Yeah. Do you agree, T? I do. I do. <laughs> um, I love it when he says that. I just agree. It's just I, the only thing I would add to that is um, never be afraid to block somebody. I've had to block people when they tell me, yeah, I, um, I, 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 I can't afford your book. So I downloaded them off, a off of a pirated site. I hope you don't mind. And I go, no, I don't mind at all. Why? Because I'm not worried about that person. I'm, because if they're going to pirate my book, one F them, because they're basically stealing from me. And two, um, they weren't going to buy my book in the first place. Anybody that buys pirated books 
if they suddenly have malware on their 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 computer, I got some good news for you. You got what you you got what you paid for. Um, that's all I'd add to it. Never be afraid to block somebody if they're if they're if they're being a turd. <laughs> all right, uh, I have a question just on uh, audience building. Now, like uh, we talk a lot on the show about newsletters, and there's a lot of wrong ways to build a newsletter because you pay to have a newsletter and you don't want any dead weight on your newsletter. Right. And uh, obviously there's ways to accumulate an audience on any social media platform. Are there wrong ways? And uh, does it matter if you have dead weight since typically you're not paying for your followers on social media? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking when, um, when we built our uh, ministry page, uh, I try to, I do try to have, how should we say quality as well? Because if you have too, you know, too much randomness happening on your page, um, then you start to become less trusted by readers who actually are interested in it. Um, so I have been known to trim a page or two. Uh, I, it's not as important, I don't think, as far as mailing lists. Yeah, you're paying per person that you've got on your mailing list. So you want to keep an eye on that. Um, but we, we do block and prune. And we also, um, we also manage a couple of groups on Facebook and that I'm particularly keep a little bit more of an eye on as far as, you know, quality members, people who are actually interacting. Okay. <laughs> if you didn't have anything to add nope. or tea, sorry. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Okay, so uh, the description of your book mentions crisis management. Um, what do you mean by this? <laughs> I'll take the lead on this oh, one. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, yeah, um, not to go into specific, not to not to mention any any names. Oh, there's too many names to name. Far I mean. too many names to name. But at the time we were writing this book. Not one, but two major blow-ups happened in not just, not just, three. I, I would, three, maybe in three, sure, why not, let's say three, three. because it's possible in three, um, not just in, not just in the literary uh, plane, but in the, in, in the social media world, it just seemed like people were acting completely bonkers. And when it came to saying, I'm sorry, they made it worse. And so I turned to Pip and I said, I want to, I want to change. I want to make a, I want to call an audible and I want to, I want to take some content from some of the other chapters and make it its own chapter. And we're just going to focus on crisis. Yeah, management. We originally in the first edition, we didn't have a no, chapter on this. We had a best practices sort yeah. of chapter and what to avoid and things like that. But I think yeah. that was the thing is that, um, either A, they didn't buy the first edition or B, they, they, it just didn't pop out to them. So I said, okay, then let's really go deep and let's talk about crisis management. What happens and, when something goes wrong? You know, you yeah. say something, you, you, we're all humans. Everybody makes mistakes. And right? we get that. But the thing oh, is that, happen. but the thing, the thing that I've seen has been like, people are terrified. Like what we were talking about earlier, people are terrified to block people. They're terrified to block them. And I'm like, why? Well, I don't want to be in a in an echo chamber. I'm like, but the thing is, you're already in an echo chamber socially. Do you want to open like this? And this is the way I, this is the analogy I use. The people that you don't want to block, are you worried that like maybe they'll start bad mouthing you or whatever? But 
would you invite them into your home? And when, you know, if somebody comes into your home and props their feet up, um, zips their fly and says, yo, bring me a beer. Would you invite them back into your house if they, if they, <laughs> if you weren't married to them or something along those lines? Probably not. And if you weren't married to them, you'd be having some serious talks. <laughs> and so, so, you know, it's okay to block people who are jerks. Another, but another example is these, these people that, these, these people in general that, that inspired the crisis management, um, uh, chapter also inspired an entire section on how not to give an apology. I said, there's a real art into owning your. Sh-. Sorry again, Joe. Um, <laughs> but, um, but there's a real art to this. And, and part of that art is not saying things like the following. I apologize, but you have to understand. That's one thing you shouldn't say. Another thing you should, shouldn't say is, I'm sorry, but I was provoked. Again, not something you should say. A third thing you should say is, I'm sorry that I insulted you and that you weren't smart enough to understand what my real intent was. Things like that. And we've seen authors do all of those. And it's frustrating because I'm like, do you hear yourselves? Yeah. And hopefully that chapter will help. Yeah. The the crisis management is for is is that is that honest talk it's that real talk hashtag real talk when you want to sit down yeah yeah that's another oh that's another good one i'm sorry you feel that way (laughs) i i I mean you just the same sincerity that you bring to your social media you should have it when you say i'm sorry and you say you know what i'm sorry and i'm going to work real hard to make sure this doesn't happen again and, and that's, that's an apology. That's what you should be saying. Um, there, there's also ways of handling, um, your, your social media, uh, in general. Like what happens if a, if a platform that you haven't touched in months suddenly starts spamming out Ray-Bans, uh, advertisements? How do you handle that? Well, either A, if you're not using that, you should shut it down because otherwise it's going to continue, uh, spitting out, um, uh, ads or B, you come on and you, and you take off those, those, uh, the, those offending ads or the spamming ads and you say, sorry that that happened. And then you change your passwords. You know, there, there's, there's all these little things that, that, uh, that we see that are simple solutions. Also, not tweeting, like off the cuff. That's another one. That's, that's a big one too. That's a real a big of, one. A lot of authors, like something happens and they fire it off. They're yeah. just like, Oh, I've got to explain that. And they fire it off without like, sitting back for a little bit and just thinking about it. And we've had friends that that's happened to. They're like, Oh, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have tweeted straight back. I should have thought about it. I should have left it to the next day. Or you should, or you should do some research on the topic before you, before you try or ask somebody, a friend, should I, should I I post this? Should I really do this? Should I really post this? And it's not just on Twitter. It's, 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 it's everything. It's Twitter. It's there. There was, I mean, from my own personal experience, there was one time where I, I recorded an episode of the survival guide to writing fantasy that I never aired. And it was because I, I listened to myself and I, and I did, I sat back and I listened to myself critically and I was like, huh, there's something you really want out there. Do I want to share with it? And I actually remember sending it to three people. I respected the opinions on two of them got back in touch with me. One was uh, Mer Lafferty. The other one is in this interview right here, which I wound up marrying. <laughs> and, and she said, 
what were you thinking? And I was just like, well, I haven't aired it. She's like, oh, thank God. Don't <laughs> burn it. Bury it. You know, but get rid of it. Delete it. You know, I'm just, old yeller it. <laughs> old, old yeller it. Yeah, that was another word. Old yeller it. Um, you know, j- just taking that moment. Um, and it goes back to some words that, that, uh, that our, our, our priest said, you know, whenever engaging in someone's argument, the question is, what am I going to gain out of this? What's, what's the, goal? what's the goal? And if you don't have a goal other than to just express your opinion, then maybe that's not good enough of a goal. And so, yeah, we, we, um, th- that's one of the things I think I'm proudest of with, uh, with the second edition of social media for writers is that we have that, that crisis management, uh, chapter there. And it is honest talk about, look, you might, you might screw the pooch on something. So you better have a, you better have an exit strategy because if you don't, it's going to get real ugly real fast. All right. Excellent. And yes, I feel like we've all done that. Twitter's the worst because you can type something really quickly and like we forget we're consumers too. And like, I know I've ranted when, um, maybe, uh, ACX was taking three months to get my audiobook approved. Yeah. And the next day I'm like, maybe I shouldn't be ranting about that on my author <laughs> Twitter profile. You know, nobody needs to never say the quiet part out loud. <laughs> all right guys well thank you so much you've been here over an hour really appreciate your time can you let folks know where they can find you and um, we'll put a link to social media for writers in the show notes here we're episode 54 i'm at pjvalentine.com you can find me at uh, t morris that's t with two e's m-o-r-r-i-s.com all my social links are available there um i should be getting back into blogging again it's been real hard because i've been going from uh, it's, it's been nice as well i've been going from one project to the next so um so i should be getting back to my to my blogging schedule relatively soon excellent well thank you very much one more time and thank you everyone for listening and to joshua pearson for producing the show you can find the show notes or leave a comment or question at sixfigureauthors.com with the number six bye-bye everyone see ya Good night. so long everybody <laughs>